For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. This is my first Dharma talk. And uh, I hope you can indulge me. As such, I would like to take just a minute to give thanks for this opportunity to Taigen San, our guiding teacher, Nyozan San, my preceptor, to Hogatsu San, sewing instructor, uh, to my partner Mike, to my Dharma brother David and Alex. Uh, to the rest of the ancient dragon sangha um, and to all beings who are here supporting me tonight it's truly a gift so I wanted to start with something unconventional and I'm going to ask you a question and I want an answer like actually give me an answer don't think about it no smart answers He's laughing because I'm the one with the smart answers usually. No smart answers, just shut it up. Don't raise your hand. Prepare your little Dharma combat mind and, like, give it to me. What is your life? Describe it. Go. Now. Joy. Joy. Finite. Contentment. Wild. Wild. Um, Not everyone has to answer. Learning. Learning. Struggle. Do you say struggle? Struggle. Amen. Music. Music. Um, what a wonderful collection of answers. Thank you all so much. I'm going to give this talk on a line from Shobo Genzo, um, which is a collection of talks from Dogen, uh, founder of our lineage. And the line, is, the line is this. The line is, great enlightenment is the tea and rice of everyday activity. I adore this line from the second I heard it. Um, it has really sustained my practice in marvelous ways. It's from the fascicle called Gyoji, number 30, in Shobo Ginza, uh, which is a fairly long fascicle, um, 55 pages in this edition. I'm, I'm referencing the translation by Nishijima and Cross. Uh, he gave it in 1942. And because it's so long, it was given to the monks as a written document, not a actual Dharma Hall talk. And the title Gyoji is usually translated as constant practice, continuous practice. Nishijima and Cross translated as pure conduct and observance of the precepts, which I think is interesting that we get such different titles uh, from just two characters. So the longer quote is this. Just throw away fame and gain forever, and do not get caught in convoluted circumstances. Do not pass time in vain. Act as if to put out a fire burning on your head. Do not expect the great realization. The great realization is everyday tea and meals. Do not aspire to non-realization. Non-realization is the pearl in the top knot. So that's the Nishijima and Cross translation. Another one, another translation, by our friend Kazuaki Tanahashi 
Just forsake name and gain forever, and don't be bound by myriad conditions. Do not waste the passing time. Brush off the fire on top of your head. Do not wait for great enlightenment, as great enlightenment is the tea and rice of daily activity. Do not wish for beyond enlightenment, as beyond enlightenment is the jewel concealed in your hair. Uh, just to get two spins on that. So what what do we take from this? I take this as an expression that our lives are empty to use to use that in the in the Buddhist sense that we have concepts about our lives. We think that our life is something, that it's one thing, that it has an arc to it, that there's a narrative, that um, it's a thing that we can hold in our minds. And this is not so. Our life is just the tea and rice of our lives. It's just the particular circumstances. It's me talking to you right now. This is all of our lives at this moment. And our lives are nothing else than that. And then once we're done here, we'll go do something else, and our lives will be nothing else than that. But there, there's not one thing, one overarching concept outside of the particulars. To quote from later in Gyoji, the opening flowers and falling leaves of the present are just the realization of conduct and observance. And again, through our conduct and observance, the conduct and observance of the Buddhas is realized, and the Buddha's great state of truth is penetrated. So we get warned in a lot of Dharma talks not to hold on to enlightenment, not to strive for it, not to think that it's some special thing, not to think that it's out there. Out there, right? There is, there is, no, there is no there out there, right? There's, there's no distinction between ourselves and elsewhere. So how could enlightenment be somewhere else? It's ours right now to grasp if we are sitting as if our hair were on fire. If we, if we take that tea and rice that we had for dinner, that we'll have for breakfast tomorrow, and we put our whole heart and mind into it, then that is great enlightenment. It is not different than the stuff of everyday activity. So Dogen quotes uh, a koan from Mumon Khan, case 30, and he quotes Basso as saying, the mind here and now is Buddha. And this is a wonderful reminder to practice, I think. That sitting on her pillow meditating is not striving. It's not attempting to get something. It's not attempting to realize the great realization. But it is that itself. As, as Teigen has written, it's the enactment of 
enlightened zazen, sitting meditation. So some of you may know I'm going through Jukai currently, working on that, working on that process along with, as I mentioned in passing, David, who is here, and Alex, uh, who is not elsewhere. Uh, and this has been a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, really cherished it. As part of that, for people who may not be as familiar, we sew a rakasu. Some of you are wearing them here, but the small little bit, it's not for eating lobster. And we study the... Or maybe it is for eating lobster. It's not not for eating lobster. Uh, And we study the precepts, which are ethical guidelines, uh, which I'm currently doing with Neozon, but but also learning from everyone around me about these precepts. And that's partly, I think, what Dogen is talking about in this. Uh, as I said, Dushijima and Cross translate the title as, if you can scroll back up, uh, Pure Conduct and Observance of the Precepts. So I don't know the original Sino-Japanese for this, but they felt it warranted to translate it that way. And so this is not not about the precepts about these ethical guidelines because the way that we live our lives is about these ethical guidelines great enlightenment is tea and rice the tea and rice of daily activity so I'm encouraged as part of Jukai to abide by the precepts but there is no, there's no abstract thing called abiding by the precepts. There's just moments in which I choose. What do I do now? How do I take these precepts now and apply it to right now? Just this is it. So it's not an abstract. That's the challenge. And I think I perhaps carry this challenge. Uh, or I, I, I feel that maybe for other people this is uh, more simple. I... And prone to abstraction, I like ideas, I like big ideas. And so this challenge for me in the precepts is to cast those aside. Cast aside those ideas and say, just what is now? What is here in front of me? How do I apply these precepts? How do I apply this wonderful gift of Dharma that's been given to me by Hogetsu also to from Nyozan while talking about it? from Taigen in, in his myriad talks, from all of you in my interactions with you, uh, to the very moment that I'm in. How do I take that and make it alive in my life? And make it my life, not different than my life, the living of these precepts. Another quote from Dogen, same fascicle. In a hundred thousand myriad kalpas of reciprocal life and death, one day of conduct and observance is the bright pearl in the top knot, is the eternal mirror that is born with and dies with Buddhas. It is a day to be rejoiced in. So I'm not going to live 100,000 mirrored kalpas, or this body won't. But how do, I, how do I bring one day of conduct and observance, of practice, of living the precepts, of putting myself inside of the tea and rice that I'm consuming. 
how do I do that for just one day? Just the day that I'm in. That's the only day. And then tomorrow, well, maybe tomorrow I'll manage to do it that day too. But that's not today. So we sewed these rakasus, and it's a fairly long, fairly complex process. Take a big piece of fabric, cut it into tiny bits, sew it back together into one piece of fabric. Why? Because we do. Um, but when is it finished? Is it finished when I put the last stitch in? Is it finished when I hand it to Hogetsu, who then gives it to Niozan, who then does calligraphy on it and then gives it back to me? Is it finished when it's threadbare and I need to retire it and make a new one? This is the constancy of practice, right? That that the rakasu is not an object with a beginning and an end. It is always. We are constantly practicing. The practice of the rakasu is constant. And what is the object itself? Right? We can say it's, all right, it's the baby put on. Great. Sure. That helps us interact with it. It helps me remember to carry it to temple, to put it on at the right time when I do those things in the future. But that's, that's, not, really, that's not really the question. Because <clears throat> really you're asking, what are, what are the edges of Buddha's robe? And I don't have an answer for that yet. But, but to me it seems like the, the myriad things uh, the myriad things are Buddha's robe. That this rakasu has extensions back into the cotton plants that grew it. And Bugatsu's years of practice that have trained her to know how to sew it, to teach us to know how to sew it. And it carries forward into my actions, how those affect other people. All of those things are not different than the Rakasu. So, Hogetsu didn't teach me how to sew a Rakasu. She taught me maybe how to sew some bits of fabric together to make this physical item. But it's my practice to sew the Rakasu every day in the tea and rice that I'm consuming to constantly be turning, sewing my life into this rockasu. And that's not something that ends. That's not something that at some point I know how to do. That's why it's practice. That's why we don't call it accomplishment. We call it practice. And there's also, there's also no concept of sewing the rockasu outside of the individual rockasus that we sew. There is no concept of Jukai. There's no concept of the Rakasu. There are individual items that people have sewn. And then in the future, they will continue to be sewn. There are individuals who have undergone Jukai. But it is not... There are no platonic ideals. Right? I think, I think Zen pushes back against that quite a bit. 
So how does this help my practice? Again, this phrase, great enlightenment, is the tea and rice of daily activity. Um, have I said it enough? I'm probably going to say it a few more times. Committed to memory. Um, it helps me remember all of the things that I've just said to you, which are not easy for me to remember all this. That my practice has to show up all the time. It has to show up when I'm frustrated. It has to show up when I'm sad. And not only does it have to show up then, those are the only times that it can show up, right? It has to show up when I'm happy. It can only show up when I'm happy because there's no, there's no time that's my life that's outside of these instances. We're always in our heads. I'm always in my head. How do I remember that I'm in my head? That I'm in an instance in which practice needs to be occurring? So we've been reading Nagarjuna in one of the reading groups here at Temple. I found him incredibly challenging, and I, and I love the challenge of it. It makes me very excited. And I will not attempt to talk much about Nagarjuna, but I have uh, one very juicy quote that I think is perhaps helping illuminate him for me. Dogen says in, again, this, this fascicle, continuous practice, dependent origination is conduct and observance. And that really struck me. Nagarjuna says all sorts of highfalutin things about dependent origination, and it's all very interesting and very technical. And that's wonderful, and I'm so glad we have that resource. And also, I'm so glad that Dogen gave me this sentence to say that the interconnectedness of things, dependent origination, the way that we're all interconnected, is just practice, right? It's the, it's the precepts. It's, it's the way that me eating the rice and drinking the tea connects me to the people that grew them. The way that once I'm done with the rice and the tea, my shit goes downstream and has effects there. It doesn't go away. There is no away. It is all connected. And that's how we all arise together. It's in, it's in the day-to-day of dependent origination, of practice, of applying the precepts to our life in order to bring our lives more to life. Dogen says this another way. In Mount Sumeru, the whole is present. And in a poppy seed, the whole is present. The great integrity of conduct and observance is like this. So it can't be broken apart into small things. It's also not an idea that's some large thing that's separate from all the small things that make it up. If that's moments, if that's individuals. This practice, which is the way that we're all interconnected, it's not, it's not an idea, it's a feature of reality. 
it's something that manifests in particular moments with particular causes and conditions. In this exact particular moment right here with all of you now. And the causes and conditions of privacy. And the causes and conditions we're generating that will carry us forward into the world. So may we carry ourselves forward into the world with conduct and observance, remembering that our daily life and practice and the precepts is just what we had for breakfast. So with that, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to transition us into discussion by asking if anyone would like to change their answer as to what their life is from the beginning. Except you all gave me pretty darn good answers, so I was delighted by that. Thank you all so much for meeting me with that question. But I welcome new answers as well. Yes, Dylan. Well, first, I want to uh, thank you for a truly lovely talk, um, which I'm not surprised about. Um, I was. Just to you know, thank thank you, uh, as you thanked me on my first Dharma talk, for uh, your incredibly supportive and steady practice. I don't know what this place would be without... Uh, for both of you. So thank you for being here. Um, I love your question. Uh, what What are the edges of Buddhism? I think that's I think that's a that's a that's a pearl. That's a really good one. If I may, I stole that from you because you said, "Why do we Why do we not bow when we leave the zindo? Because we get to decide when do we leave the zindo. Where are the edges of the zindo? You remix it. So I, I remixed it. I give you some credit for it. <laughs> um, it reminds me of one of my favorite Tiger stories, which I would I would love to tell right now, especially because he's here, so I can embarrass him when he's here. Um, but uh, so when I um, when I did Jukai and we did the ceremony, and I put it put it on the rocket suit for the first time. Um, I remember wearing the rock suit and kind of like looking at it and being a little confused. <laughs> and, I, and I pulled over to Tygen and I said, Tygen, when do I wear this? <laughs> and he said, oh, oh, you, you wear it uh, when there's a Dharma. And I said, and I said what, what's a Dharma event? And he went, oh, and walked away. <laughs> And so it's always been one of my absolute favorite interactions with, with Tiger. And I think it feels very, it feels like another phrasing of your question, like what, what are the edges of the Buddhist world? Um, so uh, I wanted to bring that to, I wanted to turn turn that phrase with that. Um, and then for your question about uh, answering your question again, I think my life is learning and unlearning simultaneously, like figuring out what things, what programming is useful and which program isn't useful. 
and then what's what what is what programming do I or training do I need to be useful? And so it's kind of like figuring out what to take out and what to have. So I think both processes. So yeah, you're a gift. As are you. Thank you. Thank you, Wade. Um, thank you for many things, including that Dharma talk. Thanks for being my Dharma brother. Um, I love the talk. I also love that question, Lord of the Edges of Buddha's robe. Um, and I'm still back on the tea and the rice, because I'm still sitting with that. Why, why tea and rice? Um, one of my uh, Chinese conversation partners, the, the one in Beijing, just offhandedly said to me the other day, oh, you know there's this saying in Chinese, and he wrote these four characters in, 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 on the screen, and it's Zen and tea are one path. And I said, wait, people still say this in, in totally secular post-Buddhist Chinese? He said, yeah. Yeah, they still say it. There's this tradition that Zen and tea are one in the same one in the same thing. Does that have a secular application? I, I, I don't know. I'll ask him that next week. But, but I guess I'm thinking why tea and why rice you talked about eating them. I guess I'm thinking about making them and boiling water and also yes. the luxuriousness as well as the simplicity of, of them. Um, think of that in terms of the of, of the fabric. I mean, I, that's the that's the thing about ordinary life that, that, that your talk is making me think about, the, the, the luxuriousness of the details, something like that. I wonder if you have thoughts about the luxuriousness of the details, especially as somebody who sews fabric. I, I do love details. I am detail-oriented. And I think there's a, there's a certain cultural way in which Zen encourages attention to detail as, as a mode of practice. I think because it is mindfulness Paying attention to the details is putting yourself in the moment in which the details are occurring. And that is Nembutsu practice. That's that's remembering Buddha in the details, right? And so, but how, how could the preparation of the tea be different than drinking the tea, right? They're all they're all one bright pearl. They're all they're all dependently originated. You cannot drink the tea without preparing the tea. Um, sorry, is the luxury of details? Maybe that's... I'm spitballing. This is not an answer. This well, is it, wasn't, it wasn't your term. I just threw it out. <coughs> no, yeah. Um, maybe maybe that's what Dogen said, means when he talks about Zazen being the seat of joyful repose. I've never fully understood why... I've never fully understood the joy aspect. I think I'm still practicing with that. For me, Zazen can often be uh, painful, physically painful. And or at the very the very most boring. Uh, so I'm I am currently working on finding the joy and the luxury in that detail of practice. Um, 
but I but I don't know that. Yeah, the luxury of the details of making tea is probably not different than than what he's saying there, or related at least. Can I double dip? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. What do you like about quilting? What do I like about quilting? Yeah, I like. I know you're a maker of things. Yeah, I do. I do so as a hobby as, as well as having enjoyed make the making the rakasu. The materiality, the fact that it's you know I do brain work all day like a lot of people. I sit in front of a computer and I get paid to like think. And quilting is or sewing a rakasu is a little bit of a logical puzzle, a little bit of thinking, but it's also just like doing. And it's, it's doing a physical thing that with your own two hands that you have to touch every step of the way, there's no, there's no separation between you and the thing that you're making. And you really, I mean, there's never separation between you and the things around you, right? That's hopefully something I communicated tonight, but you really feel it. And so I guess that's it's very different than the way that I normally get to interact with the world, and that's wonderful. And if I'm going to put a practice spin on it, I think it has that added benefit as well, of really putting you into your body, into the thing you're interacting with, and, and trying to realize non-separation. Wow, so, so Great Enlightenment is the quilting of everyday life. Absolutely. Great Enlightenment is the whatever you're doing of whatever it is you're doing right now. David Wine? Yeah, uh, I was struck by something David said, David Ray said, about the preparation of tea. <coughs> and I think what comes up for me is that sometimes when I'm cooking, I don't have intention. And I'm just doing it. It's when I'm eating that I have intention and appreciation. And so I think what was part of this is where is our intention all the time? You know, is our intention when I'm cooking the same as when I'm eating? And I think that's where the gaps are. I know in my own practice that I'll be doing something and not concentrating and not being aware of my intention. And then later on I will. So the question is how I can make it not just tea and rice, because it's there in front of me with boiling the water and acknowledging the water and acknowledging rice when I put it in water and then acknowledging when I boil the water to make tea and putting the tea into the, the teapot to let it simmer and then pouring the tea. All of those have to be, well, they don't have to be the same, but when they are the same, that's when I'll have my practice being fulfilled. So it's all about intention. Absolutely. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly, and I, I, I would even venture to say Dogen would agree. I think when he says, he doesn't say great enlightenment is the eating and drinking of tea and rice. He says it is the tea and rice. So he doesn't specify. And, and in fact, when I was preparing for this talk, I, I brought a, a bunch of uh, different translations and commentaries on Dogen's Tinzo Kyoku instructions to the chef because I thought, oh, of course this line is from instructions to the, <laughs> instructions to the cook 
Uh, and then I read instructions to the cook, and I didn't find my line, and I had to go back to the drawing board and be like, I have misplaced this quote from, from Dogen. Um, but anyway, that is that is to say, to to support your point, that yeah, the preparation of things is uh, is also as fully part of practice as as the eating of of food. That the you know showering is as much practice as getting dressed is as much practice as sitting zazen. If if we're bringing practice to it. Right? And I think that that's what we're encouraged to do. That's what I feel encouraged to do by that by that line from Doug. That's maybe checking with the people on that. Yeah, uh, I, I see. Yeah, the Tigan has his hand up. Just a very brief footnote for David Ray about uh, tea and rice. The word for tea in China and Japan is also the word for food. Just like we say, give us this day our daily bread. They would say daily, daily rice. So, anyway. thank you. Very interesting. Yeah, the the online realm has been quiet, but I hope I've been paying some attention to you. Um, <clears throat> I, if you have anything to say, please, but no pressure. Yes, Nyozan. Yeah, uh, thanks, Wade. Um, really lovely talk. Um, I don't really have much to say except for to say thanks. Um, you know, the the way you dropped uh, into this discussion the line that there is no away, um, which has, has played, uh, you know, a, a, a kind of a pivotal role in my own life. And so it was really, really delightful to have in your talk, have this be... Uh, sort of put together with these two other ideas, which I've, I've surely been you know, exposed to before, but are not front of mind kind of thing, which is like, well, yeah, where exactly is the edge of the Buddha's robe? And, you know, where exactly is the edge of, uh, of the Zendo? Um, and I don't know how that all ties in with there is no way, but somehow it did, and it did it very effectively. So thank you very much. I, I stole that line. I, I have no original ideas. Um, <laughs> Nobody does. Mike can cite this quote, but like, uh, good artists borrow, great artists steal. So um, I stole that from, or shouldn't claim greatness, I borrowed it from uh, Tension Reb Anderson in, in his book on the precepts. He figured which precept he's discussing, but I feel like he even titles the chapter. Um, Anyway, he's talking about that concept. You throw something away, what does that mean? Away where? There's just the world. You can move from one part of it to another, but it can't go away anywhere. So I didn't mean to send you hunting for a quote, but... <laughs> it's funny that, that... Oh, Amina. Yes, please. Just made me think of something. Um, a couple of nights ago, I was walking along the LA River, and there was a guy walking his dog, and he had like a trash grabber, and he was grabbing trash, and he had a couple of plastic bags, and you know, so he was picking up trash there. And it made me really happy to see that. And I ordered my own trash grabber, and I thought, okay, now I'm gonna pick up trash on my walks. And um, I've been, uh, I've been thinking about the climate crisis a lot, you know. 
Um, and but then I part of me, you know, earlier today, I thought, okay, you're going to pick up this trash, but it still exists, you know, like, okay, like, the path you're on, you know, won't have trash on it, but the trash will still exist. And yeah, I didn't quite know what to do with that. Because at first, I was like, really happy, you know, and then I was like, but wait, but the trash still exists, like, but there's still all this stuff, like, where, you know, and, and the climate crisis still exists. Uh, but um I don't know. Like it's, I don't really know what to do with that, you know, because it is nice to pick up trash and to take it away from the river, away from, you know, but. Yeah. Yeah. You make a good point. I've, I've thought about that too. I do think it's better for trash to live in a landfill than to live out in the wild, but it is certainly not going away anywhere. It's certainly still there. So I know that we're basically at time, but if there's a final comment that that someone would like to sneak in. If not, I would just find it amusing that um, everyone kind of, that, that line about the edges of Buddha's robe, I don't know, I just threw that in last minute. That wasn't what my talk was about, but I'm so glad you enjoyed it all. <laughs> it was what my talk was about. Um, but I... Uh, you taught me something about my talk by drawing that out and emphasizing it. So, so thank you, and and thank you all for being here. Tigan, yes. Uh, uh, quick, quickly, uh, in response to Amina, there's an old koan: "The entire world is one bright pearl. Where are you going to spit?" We'll say the four vows, and then we'll have announcements. The unseen, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to lend them. Surpassable. 